You are listening to the Gator Slant, a Florida Gators podcast from ChopTalk.com. Hey, everybody. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Gator Slant podcast and all sports Florida Gator podcast from ChompTalk.com. As always, I'm joined by Ryan Haley and Jesse Richardson. Guys, how are we doing today? I'm doing well. How are, I'm, uh, nothing really happening in Florida sports this weekend, huh? Yeah, this weekend has been nothing going on. I couldn't name anything. But other than that, I'm doing good. Ryan, how are you doing? You know, guys, I'm, I'm not okay. even joking. I have it written down that that's what I'm going to say. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna, <laughs> that was my next line is I'm sure glad there's nothing going on <laughs> with the Gator Nation right now. Uh, so thanks for that, Ryan. Uh, You're welcome. My, so, uh, my, my job is nothing if not to make yours harder. So now that the cat's out of the bag, let's just talk about it. Following a 24-23 to 23 overtime loss at Missouri, Woo. Scott Strickland woke up on Sunday and decided that it was time to fire Dan Mullen. We've been talking about this for the last couple of weeks, it seems like, uh, but it's finally official. Uh, Dan Mullen did decide not to coach the Florida State game, though he was given the opportunity to do so. He thought he'd serve as a distraction. Uh, my first thought is, guys, what is uh, – what are your thoughts on that? Not coaching the Florida state game. Do you think that was fair to his team? Do you believe in this distraction theory? Yes and no. Uh, I think, I think it's fair, honestly, to me. Uh, I've always believed that if you, cause for a guy like Mullen, um, if Mullen isn't the guy for your program and you know, he's not the guy for your program, like don't like, just let him sit there, be a dead man in a casket and, walk around and talk to everyone like if, if the guys felt like it, it all depends on the players if the players felt strongly enough about Mullen that wanted him to stick around for another game then he should have stuck around for another game if the players were like we like don't really care which granted we're never going to hear that publicly but it, it all comes down to the players and whether or not they really wanted to rally around Dan Mullen and play for Dan Mullen and if, if the answer to do you guys want Dan for one more game was anything other than a resounding yes then he probably made the right choice my only thought behind that is this was Dan Mullen's fourth year. There are guys that he recruited to Florida on that roster right now that are seniors that have spent their whole time under Dan Mullen. Uh, it would be really nice for them, I think, to go out with Dan Mullen. Uh, and I, I, you know, it's, I don't, from what it sounds like, there was no say from the players on, you know, when and how this was going to happen. So I don't know. I just, I think that Dan decided to take the easy way out there was a good chance that had his uh, firing been announced on Sunday and he was coaching on Saturday, that there'd be a lot of booze directed at him. Um, and I think uh, he took the easy way out. That's, that's my opinion of it. Uh, Jesse, any, anything to add to that? Um, I think you guys pretty much hit the nail over the head on this one. Um, I do kind of feel like this week is kind of just like a white flag uh, for FSU and not, not for FSU, but for, but for Florida. Um, and I don't know. I, I feel like, I feel like, that the body language was always kind of there in the players. I know they're not going to say it publicly, but I feel like that they did kind of also kind of give up on, on the whole Dan Millen tenure. And uh, I feel like if he was coaching on Saturday, uh, we might not get s- such a positive result, but I don't think it's going to be much of a positive result anyway coming for uh, for Florida. Ryan, I want to ask you, the point spread opened at Florida being favored by 10 points. At the at very first, uh, after the Dan Mullen that firing news came me. out, it went to mm. minus two. So f- all of a sudden, people were starting to bet on Florida State. 
Dan Mullen getting fired made me want to bet on Florida, even at the minus 10. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if there's really anything that would make me want to bet on Florida right now. Um, but I felt I okay. Let me put it. I agree. This. I, I felt agree with better you. about it. I, then <laughs> I agree. I agree with you just because I heard how positive a how well Greg Knox's presser went on Monday, and b how positively the players spoke about Greg Knox and the message that he had. Which granted, and this is not to discredit what Greg Knox did. It's very easy to show up for like a player's senior night and be like, "Hey, this is all we can do. Like, all we're gonna do is make sure these seniors go out on a good note. We want to beat our rivals' butt, and we want to go home. Make sure that these guys end their career in the swamp with a win." Super easy message, and Greg Knox delivered that like exactly how it needed to be. Didn't try and overcomplicate it. Didn't do anything he didn't need to do. He's just like, hey, the two most important things are the fact that it's FSU and the fact that it's senior night. Let's play for those two things. And that was a refreshingly honest, positive, pure take. It was a really, really well done press conference for Greg Knox, in my opinion. Yeah, it's um, a shame we only got to see it at the end of the year, huh? <laughs> I guess, yeah. Um uh, it was a bit, bit of a bit of a cultural departure from previous Monday pressers, um, but yeah, I just I I don't know. I think I lost track of the original question. In full honesty, I went on that tangent about Knox's presser. That's right. I forgot to. <laughs> Guys, let's let's move over real quick. And Never mind. Just, uh, I mean, it was about point spreads, betting, and you're oh right, right, right. So yeah. it doesn't okay. really matter. That's true. I can't. I can't legally comment. No. So, but off the record, um, no. I, I think it all depends on how much the players buy into Greg Knox. But this is also a Florida State program that's been trending in an entirely different direction. Direction. I mean, they started the season zero and four, and they're five and six now. It's like they're they salvaged the season. Everything the athletic department was saying at FSU about their patience with Norvell, like looks like it's at least not even if it's not working. It's kind of going in the right direction for it to look like it might work. So I don't really know if there's anything you could convince me to say that I would take Florida. If Florida was favored, um, but I I do think that I'm more inclined to look at it now that Dan Mullen is gone. Yeah, Jesse, anything to add to that? Uh, just kind of answering the sports betting side of the question. Uh, I have been taking Jesse's uh, of age, so this is legal. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, I've been, I took Florida last week to cover the spread and I, I, I realized that that was a very bad mistake, uh, especially after, after taking South Carolina and actually covered the spread. And, and everybody uh, is disconnecting their headphones right now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, yeah. But so, yeah, I, I think I might be taking uh, whoever, whoever it is that's going against Florida. I think I might be taking them in the spread battle uh, for the rest of the season, which is only one game. So I guess we'll see how that pans out this Saturday. <laughs> All right, guys, we'll get back into the game here in just a minute. But I, I do want to talk a little bit about some of the top candidates out there. And we've heard a lot of names uh, just earlier this week. Um, our own Mark McLeod dropped a list of 15 coaches. Uh, some of them, you know, very probable and likely, and, and most likely the actual head coach that Florida ends up tabbing is going to be out of this list. Uh, but then there's also some just um, really out there ideas. Um, amongst the guys that he thinks are in the top tier and the most likely, Mario Cristobal, who is at Oregon, Lane Kiffin from Old Miss, and Billy Napier from uh, Louisiana, formerly Louisiana Lafayette. Now they just go by just Louisiana. Um, guys, anybody from that tier that, that uh, you know really stands out to you? Mario, Mario Cristobal uh, for me uh, from Oregon. Um, I think 
as long as they're competing with Miami to to fill that the, the head coaching job. But if any Diaz does stay there, then I feel like that gives Florida a little bit more better chance at, at being some thieves and um and and, and taking them. And I don't, I don't see why not. I, and then this is also me kind of hitting the brakes on on the Elaine train as much as everyone else would like to see that as well. I, I'm going to go with a different answer and say Mario Cristobal from Oregon. I'm gonna All go right. with yeah. Sorry, go ahead, I'm gonna man. I'm gonna go with the non the non. I know Lane Kevin's the sexy pick among fans, but I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with the brain. I'm gonna go with Billy Napier. I uh, I actually texted a uh, buddy of mine, friend of the alligator, former alligator, uh, Tyler Matuno, now writes for For the Win and a few other places. Um, and I was on Sunday night and I texted him. I was like, look, as of right when I sat recording on Tuesday night, so 48 hours ago, I was like, look, I don't get the Billy Napier hype. Like, I don't get it. Why why should why should I like this? And Tyler, I did not know at that time, was the biggest Billy Napier fan on the planet. And he's now converted me into the second biggest Billy Napier fan on the planet. Um, I, like, Billy Napier is, like, an absolute stickler in the best possible way in college football. He has the way he wants things done. He has an absolute – he's a macro and micro visions for his program that show up in the way he handles his business at ULL in uh, Louisiana. Or I guess it is, this is now called. Um, cause I read a uh, feature about him in two, four, seven sports and which I'm sure has been making the rounds on Florida Twitter over the last day and a half as everyone's trying to figure out who the hell Billy Napier is. Um, but it was like both the two things that stuck out to me from like that micro and macro sense, he journals every day of his life and what he learned that day, what went well and what went wrong, whether it's a game day or just like a normal practice. He's done that since 2011. He tries to learn and get better at little things every day and take little lessons from every single practice and every single game and figure out how to get better. But also like details from what he did with the Raging Cajuns, like they now have a weight staff. They now have a nutrition staff that they didn't have before. They have like twice, they have better facilities. They have twice the staff they used to have. And it's not, and it's like Billy Napier like went to a small school and didn't run it like a small school. He ran it like he was Alabama. And that's why he's a he's a Nick Saban. Uh, uh, I'm forgetting the word. He's a Nick. He's a, like studying under Nick Saban. He studied under Dabo Sweeney, who are the objectively the two most successful college football coaches of the last decade. And like learning from both of those guys, and the fact that really stuck out to me is like he learned from both Nick and Dabo, most specifically Nick. But like the one thing that stuck out, and what someone said, like really, it's like him and Kirby and I guess Jimbo Fisher that have really done this. Like the only three that they've seen. Where it's like he learned under Nick Saban, but he's not trying to copy Nick Saban. He tweaked it a little bit. He made it kind of his own thing. And it seems like the players love him. He transformed a program that if you honestly had told me four years ago like was about to drop football, I wouldn't have questioned. Um, just not even because of a success level, just like re- relevance of the school. And he kind of made them the pride of the Sun Belt over the last few years, both recruiting-wise and offensively. Um Again, it's hard for a guy to learn how to coach a power five school at Florida. It's really demanding. It's, I think that's really the only negative against Billy Napier. Um, if Florida can let Billy Napier be Billy Napier and breathe and not get in his way or jump down his throat about what he's doing, I think he could be a really, really good hire. Ryan, I tend to completely agree with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I must have read that same article. I believe the article was actually from like last January. It was, uh, but it I was believe. talking about what he had built um, in a short time at Louisiana. Oh, it was two and a half years when that article got written when he got yeah. hired. 
Yeah. I mean, the biggest thing, and you know, we always hear about how many analysts and just support staff Alabama has. And it sounds like he's doing the same idea there. And Britain has many faces in recruiting there. There's no, there's no limit on how much support staff you can have in college football. And it's one way that Alabama brings in guys like uh, Sarkeesian over at Texas right now, after his whole issues with USC, he comes over to Alabama as in a support role, works his way up from there and then gets his next job. Um, I I would love to see Florida take advantage of that. I would love to see former players in those roles. And And Alabama does that very often. And I think, I think Florida football right now, and I've said this to both of you guys at different points before, specifically before we got on air. After Muschamp, McElwain, Mullen, I think Florida football kind of needs a full reset right now culturally. I think they just kind of need to rip apart from the ground up and build it all over again. And if you're going to do that, why not do it with a guy who does it entirely differently than anyone who's ever coached the program before? Why not do it with a guy who's like, I'm gonna, I want to do this my way and I want you to let me do it my way. If you're going to rebuild the program, you're going to hit the reset button. Just let Billy Napier redo it from the ground up. All right, Ryan. Now, I, I get what you're saying there, and I like it. I do. Mm-hmm. And I'm 100% on board. If Billy Napier was hired as the head coach tomorrow, I could totally support it. I think it's a great idea. I don't think it's a bad hire at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the long-term well, vision there is phenomenal. I really do. But, you know, with everything you were <laughs> saying, no, 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 this is great. You're, you'll like this. With everything you were saying about doing it his way, a different way than anything we've seen before. No, no, no. I want to do it the same way that we did it in the 90s. I want there to be swag in the swamp. <laughs> and I believe that Lane Kiffin is the guy who brings that. I, I, I just, I, I mean, look, we talked about it last week, so I'm not going to say all the same stuff over and over again. Uh, you could listen to last week's episode if you'd like. Um, but you know, it's a, I think Lane Kiffin brings something that the short term will have bigger benefits from than a Billy Napier. Napier may be a better long term option, a long term viability, but I think in the short term, when you look at the guys in the transfer portal and when you look in recruiting, the short term answer is Lane Kiffin. Now, obviously, we don't want to have a coach in another coaching search in three to four years. And Lane doesn't have a long track record of staying anywhere, but I also feel like we're seeing a different Lane Kiffin. And Ryan, if you were coaching at Florida Atlantic in 2019 and Ole Miss knocked on your door with a lot of money, I think all of us would have taken that. Oh, hundred percent. If My... you're at, if you're at Mississippi right now in that West where let's be honest, you're, you're going to finish third, fourth, fifth at best. And Florida comes giving you a bag of money. You're probably going to take that jump too. There's not a lot of jobs in this country that you're going to leave Florida for. Mm-hmm. So when, you know, I don't, when I look at, you hear that argument a lot. Oh, Lane Kiffin, he's only going to be there two or three years. If he's only here two or three years, that's because there was a colossal failure at UF. <laughs> no, but so here's my thing. I think Billy, like Billy Napier is the safe choice and Lane Kiffin's the sexy choice. Yes. Um, Billy Napier is the guy that in 2022 and 2023, Florida's probably going to go like seven and five and eight and four. He's going to build a strong foundation. He's going to recruit really well, but it's going to take a little bit of time for his, like for his complete rebuild to kind of get right. And for that program, which granted like, and I know we've kind of piled on Dan Mullen a little bit over the last few weeks. Dan Mullen is leaving this program as a shit show. 
programs five and six, all of their best players are draft eligible or seniors. So they're probably going to leave if not transfer. And the, they have like the 22nd best recruiting class before he got fired. And now those guys are decommitting because it's no longer Mullen. I don't think there's a way you can really be like, oh, like I don't think you can like knock off Georgia in 2022, no matter who you hire. So I think Billy Napier is the guy that like by 2023, 2024, Billy Napier is going to have that program really ramping up. Lane Kiffin's the guy where like, if you hire Lane Kiffin, you have the highest chance of winning the SEC East in 2022. You also have the highest chance of Lane Kiffin being fired by 2025. And all of a sudden Florida's the next Texas, USC, Miami, like all those programs that were really prominent for a long time. And then just got a few coaches wrong in a row and they're stuck in a 2025 year rut. They haven't gotten out Nebraska. Like I think that, and granted it all ties back to that risk. Neither Napier nor Kiffin is perfect. It just depends on which one of those risks you're willing to take. And to me, the downside of Billy Napier might just be that Florida just kind of gets middling. The I think the downside, like if Kiffin works, he will be like, I know you tabbed him as like baby Spurrier. If Kiffin works, he can really evolve into a role like that. I also think killing Kiffin is the higher chance of like doing something like Mullen did. I also think that if you're the UAA, one thing you have to look at is who's going to sell tickets next year. That's also true. Lane Kiffin's going to sell some tickets. He's going to get you excited when you go to his press conferences. He's going to say some stupid stuff. He's going to say some weird stuff. He's going to get on Twitter and do some, I, I mean, he's like Donald Trump, maybe a little more controlled. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, we had a, a Florida Gators Trump account for a little while. So I used to follow that and it was kind of hysterical. Uh, but, you know, that would be our head coach. <laughs> um, but, you know, you've got to take the good with the bad. And I, 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 for one, would love to have Kiffin, but I don't think that having Billy Napier as a, uh, a consolation is a problem at all. Um, all the smoke right now is that Billy Napier's very likely. Uh, you, I'm sure you guys have seen on Twitter, there's already tracking flights and doing all that. That's um, exciting stuff that only happens. Well, it should only happen every few years to decades, but uh, lately we've, we've done it quite a bit. Um, Guys, anything else you want to add on the coaching search before we get into this week's game? I just can't wait to see who ends up being hired after all this circus. Uh, I think it's really funny that Florida fans are, like you said, the first one to jump on some kind of flight tracking thing to see uh, that Sunday who's, who's going to be in the coaching list. But, uh, yeah. But, uh, Ryan, I, I think you're going to say something. Yeah, I was going to say I think coaching search is the most exciting time to be a part of a college football fan base just because it's, it's almost like the NFL draft, but for college, it's the one time where like the program is going in an exciting direction and you have no idea what, it, which way it's going to go. And everyone's always hopeful before things start. Everyone thinks every candidate's going to be the guy that changes their program. Um, and whether or not it gets right or not, there's going to be a lot of excitement going into the 2022 team just because of how new it is. Ryan, just to piggyback off that for a second. Okay. Mm -hmm. You're the editor at the alligator. Is this a fun time for you? Yes. And no. Um, because for me, like coaching searches give us like record clicks. <laughs> oh yeah. hundred percent. So um, I'm like texting Jesse. I'm like, Hey, anything you want to write about? Come on, anything. People are eating this crap up right now. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, no, we, 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 we should probably, we've had, um, we should probably be hopping on and creating a little more stuff than we have, but it's more so like the break, like the last, I'm, when I'm thinking this, I'm thinking of the last few weeks more so than anything else. Cause the alligator prints on Sunday nights, which is when Florida football keeps firing its coaches right so, Florida football sets my uh print budget on fire 
so that's that's been pretty fun um but other than that it's 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 exciting just because of how much stuff's getting talked about this is um, this is a quick question oh, for I both remember, you guys. I do remember what I go ahead, Ryan. Go ahead. I'll let you. No, I was going to say I do remember what I wanted to say next was um, uh, I, uh Stephen Walker, the editor in chief at the Alligator, um, said uh, he uh, tweeted he's he's also on the Lane train. He tweeted that he's starting the Lane Kiss in the Florida agenda, and the first two quote tweets in order were um, "Welcome aboard" and "You people are sick." yeah so i think that's a pretty what a good divisive su- pick yeah it's, it's i think i think it's a pretty good summary of how everyone feels about every candidate right now though guys i want to know i don't think he's a home run guy does it matter to you all right for example let, let me throw this out there that um louisiana is going to be playing in its conference championship game most likely and obviously it's not set in stone things could change it could be a totally different situation but most likely you're not going to announce a new head coach if it's Billy Napier until the day after the conference championship game. So you're talking Sunday, December 4th, Lane Kiffin, his team isn't going to a conference championship game. You can get that early start on recruiting here at UF with Lane Kiffin. Does that weigh into your decision at all? Nope. No, Jesse, you first. No. <laughs> No, I wouldn't, I wouldn't really say so, honestly. Uh, You've got the number 22 class in the nation right now. You've got the number nine class in the SEC. That's got to mean something. That is it, detrimental it, to a program. It, it does. But if you think Billy Napier is a better pick than Lane Kiffin, you are waiting. Because getting this class, this class, even the difference between getting Lane Kiffin a week early and getting Billy Napier a week later is the difference between being like the 12th or the 15th ranked recruiting class in the country, maybe 16th. If you don't like the, if you rush that fit and get, I'm just subbing in Lane Kiffin here as a substitute, but like say you get someone who could be available earlier. If you don't like the fit and you have to go in another coaching search three years later, because you rushed it and tried to make sure you had a guy for the 2022 recruiting class, then you risk basically being the next Nebraska. And like you when you're on your fourth coaching search in 10 years, you have to get it right. You don't, you cannot do it quick. You can't have a guy just plug in. You're like, okay, we're stressed about this recruiting class. Like, and I know uh, Nick Delatore tweeted that too. He's like, making sure you have the right coach is better than like hitting a home run on national signing day. Yeah. And no, and and I agree. I I just, I wanted to throw that out there to see what you guys thought, because there is the potential that, you know, Lane could come a week earlier and get the ball rolling, and who knows what he could do with with an extra week to recruit. Um, I would, by the way, I would, I would love to see what Lane Kiffin would say about Georgia and Florida State. I, I would love it. I I want to cover Lane Kiffin at Florida. Okay, maybe maybe that's part of why I'm so like, yes, let's do this. Um, but anyway, um, yeah, I, I, look, I'm I'm excited to see what's going to happen. It's there's a lot there's a lot to come. Um, I do want to address this, Ryan. Do you do you read the comments you guys get on the alligator stories at all? We don't get many, so they typically pop up. Oh, nice. All right. Well, thanks. We, for we, tend, <laughs> we, well, tend we, we get, don't we don't have a comment section on our website, so they only pop up on social media. Yeah, well, we see most of ours are on social media as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but when Mullen got fired, uh, when when we're doing all these stories about it, we are getting a ton of comments about oh, this was the bad move. You shouldn't have fired Dan Mullen after one bad season. And that's something I just want to take a quick second to address that now was the right time to fire Dan Mullen. 
And if you need to look at anything else, and I don't want to go into a long diatribe about it, but I do want to say that this class, like we just talked about, is ranked 22 in the nation right now at the University of Florida. Uh, that's that's unfathomable. Like you have to try not to recruit to recruit that poorly. Um, and that one more year of recruiting like that, I mean, you could set this program back five, 10 years. You cannot take that chance. Um, you know, that, and that doesn't even include the accountability issues within the program, within Dan Mullen's scheme. Um, one issue moving forward that we were talking about, there is a significant lack of depth behind the starters. And I say that because we haven't seen any of them because Dan Mullen is a, is very much a seniority based coach, um, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but we have no idea what kind of depth lies beneath what we're seeing on the football field every week. And that's a scary thing, man. This could be a rough, rough team next year. Um, but now was the time to fire Dan Mullen. If you don't believe that, then you're not paying attention. And, and that's the bigger issue. This was the time to make a coaching change. And honestly, Billy Napier, Lane Kiffin, Mario Cristobal, any of those names that we've brought up tonight would be a significant improvement, at least in recruiting, maybe not the on-field stuff. Dan Mullen's a great on-field coach, although – I would also question how many times were you watching the game last week and you said, really that play again? No, I want to, I want to point out another thing. So Dan Mullen got fired directly after losing the, to Mizzou. So it's fair to say that his job was on the line when he showed up in Columbia. And I would hazard to say that Dan Mullen likely, if he didn't know, he likely suspected his job was on the line. Florida, not only did they get, a bunch of deserved flack for not trying to push the ball in the field goal range with 64 seconds left in that game. They also kicked two field goals on fourth down and less than five yards in the red zone and punted from around midfield on fourth and two Yeah, with his job on the line. Yeah. In a 24 to 23 game. You know, it was funny seeing from the beginning of the year to the end, how he went from going for it all the time. And there were times where I'm like, what the hell is he doing? And then by the time the, you know, this end, you're like, why, why are we playing so conservative? It, it felt like, it felt like he lost faith in the offense, but he didn't want to change the offense. Cause that would admit he was wrong. Right. And it felt like he was like, well, I don't want to like do anything differently, but what we're doing right now isn't working either that, or he just completely lost interest in play calling. Yeah. I mean, let's be real. And, and I tweeted about this on, um, on Saturday what's Florida running like six plays right now under Dan Mullen. And now I, look, maybe that's not a Dan Mullen thing. Maybe it's an Emory Jones thing. I don't know. And I, and I'm not going to try to tell you, I do know, but that's a problem. And if oh, Emory oh, Jones is your quarterback, that's a problem. If he can only dissect it, the six plays, I'll put it this way. If it's an Emory Jones problem or not, that becomes a Dan Mullen problem. Cause you, if you have, especially with a backup like Anthony Richardson, I know he's had health issues. If you have a quarterback that can only, and I've been a big Emory Jones defender all year. And I still think he's better than a majority of the Florida fan base gives him credit for. It's just he's sitting in front of Anthony Richardson. If you have a quarterback where you're only comfortable calling six or seven plays, whether it's because you have a misconception about his abilities or you're afraid of his abilities and don't trust him, either way, it's on you for starting him. No, I, I completely agree. Jesse, anything you want to add to any of the conversation that we're having? Uh, I mean, yeah, for the most part, I, I, I can just say that, like, Maybe you shouldn't fire a coach after one bad year, but I think for the most part, we all kind of saw this coming. I feel like this podcast, we're all just kind of like 
kind of like had a countdown in her head. So like, Hey, maybe this is going to be a season where he's gone. Um, but yeah, I think with like, with like the body language from the players and stuff like that, and some comments that were made, I feel like this was all just kind of, kind of going to come right. And then I feel like that shot from the, uh, Mizzou coach of the uh, May the Force Be With You. Um, and then that was the fantastic. Was, it, it was a fantastic shot because I think Mullen totally, totally had that coming to him after dressing up like Darth Vader for Halloween. Um, do you see what Drink was said today? Hold on, guys. That was Halloween. No, it wasn't, it I wasn't do the, not hold that one against Dan Mullen. <laughs> it, wasn't, it, wasn't, it, wasn't, it wasn't the Vader thing. It was the fight from halftime. That's what yeah. Drinkwitz was throwing a shot at. It was the fight that Mullen kind of instigated during halftime. Right. That was that was a drink which was kind of trying to like reference tongue in cheek. But did you see what he said today? Yes. Someone, God, someone asked for people who don't know to listen to the podcast. Uh, someone asked. I'm sorry, I'm hijacking your segment, Jesse. I'll give it back to you in like two seconds. Um, someone asked, "Oh, I had drink what's uh, about Mullen getting fired?" And he said, "I like his dad's a farmer, and he's a strong believer in you reap what you sow. If you reap if you reap kindness, you sow kindness, and if you reap don't like if you reap jackass, you sow jackass." like quote. <laughs> it was incredible yeah that was uh wow <laughs> and for him to just that openly just dunk on dan mullen but it shows you how universally disliked dan mullen is in the coaching ranks uh you know scott strickland may have been the only head the only athletic director in the country that could hire dan mullen because they had that working relationship previously I can't see him getting another head coaching job in college football. You know what he's going to do? He's going to go to the NFL as an offensive coordinator for the he's Jacksonville get... Jaguars. Yes, he is. He's <laughs> going to go over Urban Meyer's offensive coordinator. Because you know, you know where he learned all of his habits from? <laughs> Jesse, go ahead, man. We're sorry. No, I mean, that's that, that's pretty much all, all I had to say. It was just like, you know, uh, pretty, you guys pretty much hit it like after I, I, I finished uh, – they really seen that well liked among among other other coaches, and um, I think his temper has definitely brought him to this point. And uh, I'm just ready to to move on to, to this next chapter. I thought Dan Mullen was going to be the guy after last year, but it turns out that not only me, but a lot of the Florida fan base was kind of wrong on that one. I think I think the fun the more interesting part about it is obviously hindsight's twenty twenty. A lot of the issues with Dan Mullen's tenure were prevalent last year. They just got covered up with having three first round, two first round talents, and a Heisman finalist quarterback on the offense. And I think, yeah, I, I think it was a bit of a case study of um, learning to adjust even when you're successful. Because I think once those problems were there for too long, it was just too late. Hey guys, we've spent a lot of time talking about the quarterback position. Uh, one thing I want to bring up moving into the Florida State game and talking very briefly about the game, uh, it looks like, according to the fifth quarter FSU, uh, who touts themselves as the source for in-depth analysis and the FSU ticker, I don't know what all that means, but whatever. They're, they're a website that covers Florida State football. They are saying that Emory Jones sustained a season-ending injury at practice. Um, they, they speculate, I'm not going to get into all that. Um, but they, they suggest that Anthony Richardson is going to get the start. Um, guys, how does that change the game plan at all going into the FSU game? Does it do anything? I mean, the Anthony Richardson and Emory Jones are pretty similar. So I think it, I think it changes it less than the fact that Dan Mullen's not calling plays anymore. I think the fact that it's, is it, um, 
it's Garrick McGee who's going to be calling uh, plays uh, on offense. And I think the fact that it's Garrick McGee and not Dan Mullen is going to change more of the offense than the fact that it's Anthony Richardson and not Emory Jones. Yeah, I'd, I'd probably just say same same thing, honestly. Uh, but I, I think it might give Florida faithful a little bit more confidence that the AR-15 is starting. I feel like feel like most of the fan base has been itching for him to get that starting snap, even though he's been kind of hurt for the past couple of weeks. Uh, but if, he, if he's cleared and if Emory Jones is hurt, like the, like the report says it is, I think any Richardson starting could give a little bit of a boost. It could. Yeah, I mean, realistically, I think everybody's wanted to see Anthony Richardson start the last several weeks. Uh, we haven't seen that. Um, guys, I, one thing I think would be kind of uh, almost funny, uh, if not theatrical, um, Knox taking over. He's the running back coach. Dan Mullen has pretty much blamed him all year for Damian Pierce not getting his, a bulk of the carries. I think it'd be really awesome if Damian Pierce came out and got 20 carries in this game. And he said, yeah, see this, see, don't put me in that. <laughs> um, I think it'd be really, really fun almost to watch that and, and to hear him say something like that. Uh, uh, but I, I still assume that Malik Davis is going to get his. Um, and then after that, Naquan's still going to get a few. I, I mean, I, I, actually... I understand the distribution. I do. I really do. But Damian Pierce looks like a special talent back there and he is so underutilized. Whereas if he was at any other school, putting up the kind of numbers that he was per carry, you're maybe talking a Heisman candidate. I think, I think Naquan is going to get a little sidelined just because Malik and Damian Pierce are both seniors. I think that because Greg Knox has really emphasized like trying to send off the, the older players the right way. And even though they are competing for a bowl, so obviously they want to win. I think we're going to see, a lot of Malik Davis, a lot of Damian Pierce, a lot of Kamori Gamble, a little bit of Rick Wells. I think we're going to see a lot of the older guys in the team that have been around that are getting their send off. I think Greg Knox is going to, I think Greg Knox and Garrick McGee are going to try and set up a game plan that really highlights them and lets them get, uh, lets them get production in their last game in the swamp. Jesse, any thoughts about um, what you expect to see on Saturday? Um, yeah, I mean, kind of just to pick you back off what Ryan said, I think it's going to be a lot of seniors. I think, I think we might get up just, uh, a, just a new few, uh, play calls, maybe ones that we haven't seen, uh, this, this year and, uh, or maybe we'll get some recycled ones. Uh, but yeah, I'm interested to see this new system that's going to be developed over this, uh, this week. And then, um, gosh, I just hope, hopefully Florida can uh, beat the spread, <laughs> And um, it should be a fun finale for 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 uh, for Florida and Florida State fans to see if uh, who's going to be the uh, worst school. Because I I thought this year it was going to be Florida State. If you asked me after that that Notre Dame game, but yeesh, gosh, the season has taken a, a complete three uh, one eighty, and uh, I just don't know what to think of it this Saturday. Guys, Florida's bowl eligible with a win. Does Florida accept that bowl eligibility? There's no reason to, right? They will. Will we watch it? Is the question. <laughs> they, they'll, they'll they'll accept it honestly to the point that you said brian i think they'd accept it just to see what the younger guys in the team look like more than anything else yeah sadly we haven't been seeing that since <laughs> the the um mm -hmm. georgia game really that's after that there should have been no no reason to play any of the elder guys until this last game um guys one one question before we move on to a totally different sport and maybe happier times uh over under 15,000 empty seats at the Swamp this weekend. What do you think? 
Well, I'll be there. Uh, um, All right, so only about 90,000 or 89,999 to go. Yeah. <laughs> I think over, but barely. I think it's going to be right around like 16K vacant. I think it's still going to be a pretty decent crowd because I, I'll put it this way. If Dan Mullen hadn't been fired yet, I would have hammered the, like the over on that. But the fact that he's out gives it a little bit like, I feel like it gives it a little more juice within the program. People want to see just kind of what was different a little bit. I'm hitting that over. I think it's not even going to be close. I think most of the students are going to be like, you know what? Five day weekend or whatever. And I think that West side is going to be, empty i guess east side east side is the student section right i have no idea that's a good question yeah it's got to be the east side we're over by the tower yeah it's got to be east so the the east side stands are going to be like half empty (laughs) um but i i would be shocked if there's a a really good crowd there um i think you'll be able to you know take the kids and the family if you want to go uh tickets should be fairly cheap outside um, and, and who would have guessed that in a rivalry game like Florida, Florida State, especially with bowl eligibility on the line, that's not quite what this rivalry is used to, is it? Not at all. <laughs> Usually not even a little bit. Going out at this point, right? <laughs> Do we get a trophy if we win this game to get to bowl eligibility and keep Florida State away from it? Like. <laughs> Isn't there, isn't there usually some kind of trophy passed between Florida, Florida State or, or no? I don't think so. I don't. Th- I think it's one of the few rivalries that doesn't happen. But didn't they at one point, wasn't there like a war canoe or something? I bet you Steve Spurrier kept it. Well, I mean, he never lost it, right? <laughs> like 11 and 1 or something. But no. anyway, besides if, if, that. If, if anyone's stowing that trophy away somewhere in their closet, it's Steve Spurrier. It's somewhere in his, in his restaurant. Hey, Dan Mullen never lost Florida State. I'm just saying, okay? <laughs> also, right. fun, fun fact. Mike Norvell was hired December 7th, 2019. He will never coach a game against Dan Mullen. That's interesting, isn't it? <laughs> Last year, that was a huge mistake that these two schools didn't play, but we'll talk about that another time. That is um, for a different podcast. <laughs> guys, let's, let's go just across the street from the swamp over to the O-Dome where the uh, women's volleyball team, man, that um, things are shaping up. Uh, It's going to be a heck of a weekend, isn't it, Brian? Yes, it is without question one of the biggest weeks Florida volleyball's had in in this year, if not a few years, honestly. Um, Florida volleyball is, for those who don't know, uh, they've won nine straight matches. They are 12 and two or 14 and two in the SEC, pardon me. And they have, they have lost they haven't lost since October 10th and they've lost once since September 24th. So in the past two months, they've lost twice. And in the last six weeks, they've lost one. They haven't lost in that nine match stretch where they've only lost three sets in those nine matches. Um, and they are going to be heavily, heavily underdogs. That is a very strange concept for a Florida team that is on fire to understand. Uh, Kentucky, has a very, very strange SEC record. They are 15-1 and one with 11 total sets lost in 16 games. That is really, really good. Two of the wins came in five-set victories over Arkansas, who is 9-8 and eight in the conference. 
And the loss came against South Carolina, who is 6-11 in the SEC. So that's really bizarre. But that loss against South Carolina came on November, no, November 4th. Kentucky has not lost a set in the six matches they've played since then. Kentucky Volleyball is, of course, defending national champions. And even beyond that, they are one of the best teams in the country. I think they're ranked number eighth right now in the ABCA poll. They're 22-4 and four in the season. Um, again, 15-1 and one in conference. And they've just kind of stuck out on opponents all year. I mean, again, they have really haven't played many opponents on their level. They, I, they got kind of beaten around by Wisconsin and Louisville in early September. But other than that, Kentucky's looked every part of the predominant program in the SEC. And for these two teams who haven't really lost since fall started, um, like the real season, not the semester, um, like the calendar season, um, I mean, these teams haven't lost since trees around the country were still green. So it's going to be a, like kind of a battle of the Titans a little bit. These have been Kentucky and Florida have been the teams in the SEC for volleyball over the last few years. I think they've either won or shared like some ridiculously inordinate amount of the last conference titles. And Florida has a chance to not make a little bit of history, a little bit of hang a little hang a banner, and they had a chance to make a major amount of history. So if Florida sweeps Kentucky, and they have a two-match series, if Florida sweeps Kentucky and Mississippi State drops a match, Florida will be the SEC champions for the regular season. They'll be the only team with two, like two losses or less in the SEC. And Mary Wise is sitting at 999 career wins. Mary Wise has the chance to play if she can somehow win both matches against Kentucky. If Florida can somehow pull off both those upsets, she can win her 1,000th career match and then clinch the SEC on back-to-back nights on Friday and Saturday. So huge, huge weekend coming up for Florida. Even if they get swept by Kentucky, they're pretty much cemented into the at least one of the top three spots in the SEC. They'd probably finish third in the conference um, if they get swept out because they're currently sitting in like a half a game behind Mississippi State for second. Um, but yeah, it's just like, it feels a little bit like this program's kind of been building to this ever since they really like Florida, at least has been rattled since Florida started rattling off this win streak ever since they got past the Mississippi state game in late September. It feels like they've really been building towards this. I said the weekend they lost to Mississippi state when we recorded after that, that I thought they had a long stretch of opponents and they were going to be better than pretty much everybody they've played and they've beaten everybody they're supposed to beat. And now comes the litmus test. This is the fun part about Florida volleyball is they seemed a little disappointing earlier on in the year. Uh, And I think Mary Wise would be the first person to tell you that losing to Stanford Baylor twice in Florida state in a five, five match stretch. But outside of that five match stretch, um, Florida volleyball is 19 and two. So this is kind of what that program has been building towards for the better, like better part of two months. Yeah, and for those that are uh, keeping track of this, Florida opens the series with Kentucky. It's two matches at Kentucky mm-hmm. uh, Friday, and with the first first serve is going to be at one o'clock p.m. Eastern time. At five o'clock, Mississippi State plays against Auburn. Uh, as Ryan was saying, that is that is actually Mississippi State's last game, so that is the game that they mm-hmm. would have to lose yes. uh, for Flo- Florida to over to to jump them in the standings. Yes. Um, 
So, but like I said, if Florida loses the match to Kentucky on Friday, it's a, it's a non-factor. Um, but man, what a weekend it's going to be. Uh, this is a good weekend to watch some volleyball. Yes. Um, unfortunately, Saturday's game is at one o'clock PM. So you're going to have to decide or not. Um, well, whether... it depends on how that first quarter goes against FSU. Yeah, maybe maybe if the first quarter of football is not very good or not to your liking, uh, put the women on and, and let's uh, hopefully cheer them to an SEC title. Uh, Jesse, anything you want to add uh, about volleyball? Uh, not really too much to add. Um, this is probably going to be the showdown of the year, it seems like. Uh, going to be a, a win streak versus win streak for both teams. Um, I think K- Kentucky – can be beatable. They've been beaten by, by a couple of top 10 teams before, like Wisconsin and Louisville. Um, and uh, yeah, other than that, not really a whole lot to say, except for, gosh, it feels good to finally be talking positive about a uh, Florida team on this podcast after talking uh, very bad about football for about uh, like a half hour. So yeah, hopefully Florida, Florida volleyball can, uh, can pull this off this weekend. Yeah, absolutely. We'll all be watching and obviously we'll talk a lot about it next week. Um Guys, uh, let's uh, move over to men's basketball. They share the O-Dome with the volleyball team. Um, guys, what a uh, what are we watching here? Is this, this is fun. This isn't Mike White basketball, or is it? <laughs> it might be Mike White. I mean, I mentioned before that in the preseason media, Mike White seemed more comfortable with this team than he had in really any team over the past three or four years. Um, I would say, I would argue since his Elite Eight run, if not before then, if not his entire tenure. Um so I might, maybe okay. this, maybe this is Mike white basketball and he hasn't been able to do it so far, either that, or it's just a small sample size, but All right, guys, I want to ask you. So obviously they got the 71 to 55 win over Florida state a week ago. We talked about that, but going into the game against Milwaukee, Milwaukee has a guy who's probably going to be a lottery pick in the NBA draft. Were, were you guys afraid going into that game? What was your confidence level in this Gator team pulling out a win there? Because that's the kind of the loss that Mike White's teams in the past, when there was a big win, they would follow it up with a stinker. And what, what did you think? And to pull out a 40-point win was pretty impressive. I wasn't afraid of a loss. I was afraid of an uncommitted. I was afraid of like a Towson game from two years ago where they just kind of like let Milwaukee hang around way longer than they should. And they didn't do that at all. So, yeah, I think again, and we mentioned this, uh, this was your point, Brian. So, I mean, I've been arguing it too, but you're the one that said it to me when we, before we started recording, like the defensive intensity against Cal, like, like last night they're up 20 points with 10 minutes left and they're swiping at every ball. This is, this team just looks like they enjoy playing basketball. They enjoy, no, I, I yeah, they have agree. a complete, they have a complete identity around their defense and their effort. And I think this could really be the most special team of Mike White's era, the tenure, if he, if he's not careful. Jesse, what do you think of the way that Mike White has constructed this team? It's kind of the anti-Calipari, right? <laughs> Instead of taking all of the high school kids, yeah, we're going to have a pretty much a brand new roster, but it's all going to be older, mature guys who kind of know their roles. And that's what you're seeing with guys like CJ Felder, uh, Flan Fleming. Uh, these guys are, are playing a role and it's contributing to the win of the team and the success of the team. And it's, it's really, I mean, it's fun to watch, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. And it's, it's kind of weird to think that, you know, these guys were all on the bench playing behind like Trey Mann and, you know, like even Keontae 
and, and, and stuff like that. But I mean, this, this just looks like really exciting Florida basketball. I mean, they're, they're playing on, on, on the, the full court press for the entire game. Uh, then I think that's really awesome to see. And, you know, I, I'm not going to lie, you know, I kind of been tuning in and out Florida basketball, but I never have seen Florida basketball play to this intensity. You know, like you guys are saying, they're up 20 and like the bench is getting hyped because they're still getting those blocks, those blocks at the basket. They're still getting those steals. And, you know, and not, not to mention, I'm going to say this all season long. Uh, Colin Castleton is a monster on uh, both defense and offense. And I am just absolutely having a great time watching him play. Uh, he's always there at the rim to make to make awesome plays. And he's always uh, there to get the offensive rebound as well. So, I mean. Overall, this team just looks looks fun. I think that, that the chemistry is meshing well, especially between Tyree Appleby and Daruji and Castleton all sharing the court at the same time. I think that they really got something going with, with these uh, plays. And uh, I think Mike White can definitely take so, so some credit for that. I think some of the plays that are being drawn up are working, obviously. And then, uh, and, uh, yeah, just make sure you get excited for the rest of the season. Yeah, absolutely. One thing that I think is really exciting about this team was they beat Cal 80 to 60, 80 to 60. There's not a single person who watched that game, whether you be a fan or somebody who played in that game or, or a Mike White who, who coached the team who thought that this Gator team played a particularly great game. So if you're winning by 20 points, I don't care if you're playing Embry-Riddle. If you're winning by 20 points and you didn't play a great game, I mean, that, that's a pretty telling statement right there. Um, so yeah, I, I'm super excited to see where this goes. Uh, actually, Wednesday night, Florida will face Ohio State. Ohio State is receiving votes in the polls. They're four and one uh, early in the season. They're a scoring team. It'll be interesting to see what Mike White's defense uh, can do uh, against a, a good offense like Ohio State. This is probably the best offense that they're going to see. Well, until Oklahoma in about a week or so. But um, aside from the Ohio State game, they play Troy on Sunday before a showdown with Oklahoma next weekend. So, um, guys, anything you want to add? Just any any caveats about this uh, men's basketball team? Now we're all just going to sit back watching no. and, and just enjoy the ride, right? Yeah, I mean, it's it's still wild to me how popular Mike White is on campus now. <laughs> winning Winning solves all. You know, back in March, everybody wanted to fire him. I remember fire Mike White was trending and uh, – you know, all of a sudden you put this kind of, you know what it is? It's the effort. You know, we, we've obviously you, you hit it, you know, earlier, but fans can live with a loss. As long as you're seeing that effort out there, it makes a big difference. And that's something that we didn't see from guys that we thought were guys that, that had that talent to be something special guys like Scotty Lewis you know, where was that? And don't get me wrong. I thought Scotty was by far Florida's best defender a year ago. Um, but there was never that intensity that we've seen from every single player on the team. And, uh, you know, playing with a team full of uh, these, these veterans, they don't have to have one leader guy. Although I will say, I think Brandon McKissick is the ideal point guard. Uh, he, he's not going to put up flashy numbers, although he can shoot the ball. And if he gets hot, he can put up a lot of points. Um, but I think he is the perfect piece for, you know, what they're running on offense right now. So, um, guys, I, I want to take a second. I want to move over Jesse. This is kind of your, uh, your spot, the women's basketball team. They've, they've now won three straight, right? 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, definitely had a, had a nice little turnaround after the preseason WNIC Classic, for sure. Uh, beating uh, beating uh, Crambling State uh, last Friday, 70-55, to 55, which is pretty cool. Uh, you know, always a nice 15-point victory. And then versus USC Upstate, they got a nice little, little slate of uh, – I don't want to say lower tier teams because, you know, Florida is, you know, exactly top tier this season. But, uh, yeah, definitely two solid wins in a row. I'm, I'm sorry, three solid wins in a row. And I think it, it's going to set up nice for this uh, little tournament going down in Puerto Rico this weekend as well. But uh, yeah, Did you ever hear anything about uh, Kiki Smith? I know she went down um, the other day in, in the game against USC Upstate. Yeah, I meant to ask post game, but uh, there was no uh, update given. Uh, I know me and you yesterday uh, in the post game, we saw someone in a uh, walking boot. Um, it was uh, it, Christina Moore. Yeah, Christina Moore. There we go. Thank you. Uh, yeah, we saw her in a walking boot. I think we got a small update for her. I think she's gonna be out for a good while. But uh, yeah, Kiki Smith when she went down in, in the uh, second. Uh, th- uh, I'm sorry, it was the third quarter. Um, when she went down, she was definitely down for a little bit. She needed assistance walking off the court. Um, so it should be an interesting injury. I, I don't, but I, from what my eye uh, perspective, it doesn't really seem like it'll be too long-term, but we'll definitely get, get, get that update soon. Um, but yeah, overall, I mean, uh, this team, besides everything else, I think this team is starting to mesh, mesh together pretty well. I think that Lavender Briggs, me and you were talking during, during the game on Monday that she needs to be that weapon that, that needs to come alive for this team to uh, really have a chance this year. And she did exactly that on Monday night. Uh, she put up 19 points, went 8, eight of 15 with four assists. And um, yeah, I think some of these young people are starting to come around. Uh, Alberto Rimdolf, who we saw in, in the preseason game, had a great game. She kind of fell off a little bit the past few matchups, but uh, she came around, she came back around. She's put up 11. She's been shooting great from the three-point line. And I think that that's what this team needs to start doing is trying, trying to find those outside looks that's always there. Um, and so far, they, they, they've been doing that. And, uh, and I think that losing Kiki Smith for this little bit is going to be an interesting uh, run, but I think they should be all right. I think the starting five has been, has been shuffled around and um, yeah, this should be interesting weekend versus St. Louis uh, and George Washington university. Yeah. um, You know, one thing that concerns me about this team is their slow starts. Mm -hmm. You know, they, they do not get out of the gates very quick. Now I, I say that they have really great, third quarter so whatever kelly's telling them at at halftime uh clearly is working um whatever adjustments they're making are working they came out and scored 13 straight i believe was the the number after halftime on monday um but i don't think they can rely on that and once you get into sec play if you don't start fast you're going to be finished fast um so that's something we'll have to see like you mentioned they're headed to san juan puerto rico for the San Juan shootout where they're going to face St. Louis and they're going to face George Washington. Um, Ryan, I know there's a couple of updates on swimming that you wanted to address. So before we get out of here, I definitely want to hear there. There's a, there's a legend coming back to campus, right? Yeah, there is a uh, certain man who walked away with uh, five, five more pieces of gold than he came to Tokyo with Caleb Dressel, who's probably the star of the Olympics, uh, all things considered. Uh, is coming back to his old stomping grounds. He's been training uh, with and under Greg Troy ever since um, ever since he left campus. Uh, Greg Troy, you stepped away from Florida's program a few years ago to focus on Olympic training. 
And uh, on Tuesday of last week, a week ago today, Caleb Russell announced that he's going to Anthony Nesty, the Florida coach who assumed control of both uh, uh, Florida's women's team as well. So he's now the sole coach of the program. Uh, and Anthony Nesty's building a bit of an Olympic factory. Obviously, he has Bobby Fink and Kieran Smith, who both won Olympic medals at the Olymp- um, in Tokyo this past summer. But forget Caleb Russell. Probably the best active swim, like the most legendary active swimmer right now, Katie Ledecky, is also training under Nesty for the uh, Paris Olympics. So this is an absolute factory of Olympic medals down in, in Gainesville's pool right now. Ryan, for those that are less familiar with swimming, uh, with Olympic swimming, with any of that, put it into perspective. If football campus, right? If, if you're on a football field, who would you compare? I mean, these are like the king and queen of the sport. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. I mean, these are titans. Like, imagine. In the same swimming pool. Imagine if in 2013, and this isn't a Florida comparison, so I can make a Florida comparison if you would like. Imagine if in 2013, Peyton Manning won MVP and said he was going to spend the offseason in Knoxville as Tennessee's quarterback coach as he prepared for the next season. Yeah, that's that's kind of the same comparison is like one of the greatest in the history of the sport is like, I'm going to go back to my college and I'm going to like train there with the other students while I'm there. While also having somebody else of the opposite sex. I mean, this is this is incredible. This has to be something that's pretty unheard of. It's it's insane. Like Caleb Dressel is a five, like Caleb Dressel has seven Olympic gold medals and he he's not even the most impressive resume in Florida swim building. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's pretty ridiculous what Nesty is building. Um, uh, but yeah, it's, I mean, to have both Caleb Dressel and Katie Ledecky, Katie Ledecky didn't even go to Florida. That was the more impressive one to me. She went to Stanford. She came because of Nesty. Yeah. And that shows more than anything else. When, when the best in my opinion, the best female swimmer to ever live, Katie Ledecky, comes to your program not because of something, not because of an obligation or because of some kind of tie, but because she's impressed with the program and thinks it's the right place for her to be. You're doing something correctly. And then Florida Swim and Dive went to Atlanta this over the weekend for the Georgia Tech Invitational and showed a little bit of why maybe Katie Ledecky was probably interested in Florida. There were Six ranked teams, both men and women in Atlanta, I'm pretty sure this weekend. Um, six ranked teams on both men's and women's side. And Florida finished in the Florida finished in the top three with the men running away with the competition. I think the, the women finished second in the invitational. They uh, narrowly got clipped by Georgia, and the men won by 402 points, which yeah. the points are associated by like whether you went like what where everyone finishes within the race. Like obviously, higher finishes equal more points to the men. Boat raced a field full of nationally ranked competition, and the women nearly won as well. So Florida, Florida swim and dive is in a super healthy spot. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I that's I really would am looking forward to just seeing what that brings into the program because that brings value to your program. You're going yeah. to have the top athletes in the country knocking on your door. This program won't even have to recruit. You don't have to. You just say, hey, look at these two guys. <laughs> yeah, could put you out imagine, a promotional video and that's your recruiting. <laughs> could you imagine 2022 like recruits? Like Anthony S is going to show up. Like, do you want to swim with Caleb Russell and Katie Ledecky for the next three years? Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> hell yeah. 
Yeah, let me make <laughs> this a little bit easier. Uh. So yeah, that, that that pitch sells itself. I mean that that swim and dive program is arguably one of the most impressive programs on campus, regardless of prestige or how often they make headlines or whatever it is that Florida swim and dive program might be the most impressive on campus considering the people they churn out and the amount of success they have. All right, guys, let's uh, move on. Do you guys have any final thoughts before we wrap this one up today? Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> what do you got, Jesse? Um, let's see. I guess any final thought, I guess Gainesville wise, uh, Hest Wrestling is coming back to downtown, uh, so that's fun. Yeah, it should be uh, a lot more ladders involved and a lot more uh, death matches and stuff, so that should be fun. That's going to be on December 4th at Knockaboot Saloon, so I will be there watching some good old wrestling. All right, Ryan, anything you want to finish up with today? I just hope everyone enjoys their holiday season. Hopefully everyone's getting a, a little bit of a few days of break coming in and uh, another bit of a break coming up with the holiday season. Um, whichever holidays you are celebrating over the next few weeks, uh, I hope everyone gets a chance to enjoy them with their loved ones and whoever they want to be spending their time with. All right. And the last thing I really want to bring up today is that on December 3rd, over at the Ironwood Golf Course here in Gainesville on 39th, uh, right off 39th up there. Um, Ryan, Jesse, and I are going to be out there doing a live podcast. It's going to be a live video podcast. Uh, So for those of you that haven't seen our pretty faces, this will be your chance. You're also welcome to come out, say hi to us. Uh, This golf tournament will be sponsored by the Gator Dugout Club. Uh, they're the official booster club of the Florida Gator baseball program where they're the money that they raise goes directly towards the university of Florida scholarship fund for baseball players. Um, guys, I'm, I'm really excited about that show. I think it's going to be a cool thing. And, uh, it, you know, the live thing's kind of a scary thought because, uh, for those that don't get to hear the editing part, you know, Jesse cleans up a lot. <laughs> oh Yeah. you get to see our live reactions to things absolutely but um we're really looking forward to it we're hoping to get some uh current players some former players uh some guys like jeff cardozo and uh obviously some of the guys from the gator dugout club to come and join us um it should be a fun time come on out check us out that's december 3rd i believe that we're starting at 3 p.m the golf tournament itself starts at 1230. If you haven't registered, you can go to gatordugoutclub.org. And uh, there's all kinds of information on how to law, how to join or whatever, uh, sign up uh, on, all the, on their website. So, but check it out and uh, let us know, you know, what you think. Come, come check us out in person. Tell us how you feel. <laughs> I would like um, to see all your beautiful faces. Yeah, there are two, two, two beautiful faces within the production of this podcast. Wait we'll just minute. leave it at that. <laughs> yeah. I won't specify beyond that. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> Hold on. Um, all right, guys. Well, hey, man, for uh, Ryan Haley, for Jesse Richardson, I am Brian Fox. Thank you guys for listening this week. Enjoy the rest of your nights, everybody. Have a good one. Enjoy the week. Happy Thanksgiving. <laughs>